0: You're listening to The Hillside Pulpit, a ministry of Hillside Baptist Church. This is Pastor Chad Henley, and I want to thank you for allowing The Hillside Pulpit to be part of your spiritual journey. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, would you consider leaving a five-star review on your podcasting app? That will help us get the word out to others, and we invite you to join us to worship the King at The Hill. All right. Well, guys, it's great to be back with you today. And today we are going to continue through the book of Acts. And today we're going to be talking about missions in the real world part one. Missions in the real world part one. Let me pray for us one more time and we'll get going. Lord Jesus, your love is magnificent. It's marvelous. It's wonderful, Lord. There's nothing like it. It has taken sinners like, like us, like me, has forgiven us, redeemed us, transformed us, um, and God, we're so grateful. And as we come now and as we think about your holy word, God, and your scripture, uh, God, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, to hear from you. Speak to us, Lord, convict us, uh, transform us to the divine image uh, that we might be your your faithful children, God, holy and blameless before you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, that's what we'll be picking back up this morning. Now, it's been a few weeks, but if you remember, uh, last time we were in Acts, we talked about a, a very important chapter, which was the Jerusalem Council, Okay, where they were dealing with the issue of whether or not a non-Jewish person had to basically become Jewish, had to be circumcised and keep the Jewish law in addition to believing in Jesus in order to be saved. And we saw in Acts chapter 15 in the earlier part that the church averted a theological and missiological crisis by affirming what the Holy Spirit had told to Peter uh, when, when he gave him the vision of the sheet descending from heaven. And God told Peter, do not call unclean what God has called clean. Talking of, and we know that he's talking about the Gentiles. And so uh, the church in Jerusalem did, by the leadership of the Spirit, come to the understanding that we must not convert to Judaism uh, and believe in Christ to be saved, but that, uh, that God has ordained a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to sing his praise and that we we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so after this event has taken place, we're not surpri- Paul, um, Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem. And it's not long before he takes up his missionary mantle again. And so they plan to return to the work of, of encouraging the churches that he and Barnabas had reached uh, in their first missionary journey. Uh, but what we see here and what we're going to see today is that uh, ministry is not always uh, easy. Ministry is oftentimes messy. Uh, and in fact, missions in the real world isn't, isn't clean cut. You, have, you face challenges, you face decisions, you face things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't really surprise us, right? Because wherever, wherever God's trying to work, right, there the devil's going to be fighting, right? He's going to be fighting against where God's trying to work. And so we're going to see today that ministry and missions isn't a walk in the park. Missions in the real world, ministry in the real world is hard, and it takes wisdom and courage and submission and and closeness to the Holy Spirit of God to be able to navigate uh, the challenges of missions and ministry well. So that's what we're going to be talking about today as we talk about missions in the real world, part 1 from Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Uh, If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. It says, after some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to talk about three principles concerning missions in the real world today. Number one, missions in the real world involves conflict. Number two, missions in the real world requires contextualization. Contextualization. Whew. And then number three, missions in the real world heeds calling. So involves conflict, requires contextualization, and heeds calling. First, number one, missions in the real world involves conflict. Okay, so we've had the Jerusalem Council. <clears throat> Some Jewish Christians have really upset Gentile churches that Paul and Barnabas administered in preaching a different gospel, basically, as we see in the book of Galatians, saying that the Gentiles basically had to become Jews first before they could become Christians. And so this caused a great great stir, and so they have the Jerusalem Council, who does indeed determine that God, by the Holy Spirit, is making Gentiles clean by faith in Christ and not through obedience to the law. So praise God, there is no hindrance there, but that non-Jews do not have to become Jewish first in order to be saved through Jesus Christ. And so this decision has been rendered down from the church in Jerusalem. And so it's no surprise that not long after that, Paul and Barnabas want to go back to the churches that they ministered to to help them understand uh, the, the, this decision and this ruling that had been handed down. But as the plans get underway, they hit a road, a roadblock that has become probably one of the most famous interpersonal conflicts in human history. And the reason for that is because it's recorded in Scripture the Bible, which is the most read and studied book in human history. And that conflict is between uh, these two men, the the two heroes in the faith, uh, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas the Encourager. And so, as as you all know, two godly people will never have conflict over anything, right? Right? I got somebody last time with that. Wrong, right? It's wrong. All right, these two spiritual giants are human too. Okay, so that's important to remember by the people you respect spiritually. We're all human. All right, and they disagreed over some practical matter of prudence here. And what did they disagree over? They disagreed over whether or not they should take Mark with them on this so called second missionary journey. Now, Mark, you will remember, is the one who. Uh, is recognized for producing the the third gospel in our Bibles, Matthew Mark, uh, sorry, the second gospel, Matthew Mark, right? So the second gospel um, is attributed to Mark. Mark most likely was an eyewitness of some of the events within Jesus' life himself. And then church tradition says that he was close with the apostle Peter, who he probably got a lot of the things from, uh, when writing his gospel, and most scholars recognize that Mark actually was probably the first gospel of the, <coughs> of the first of the four gospels written. Okay, but but and then a final detail about Mark that's probably important for our purposes here is that Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin. Okay, Mark was Barnabas's cousin. So what was the issue with Mark? Well, you remember that back on the first missionary journey. <clears throat> uh they um had a uh uh they brought mark with them and i think we have a um well it's going to come up later but they 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 went to cyprus first which is an island all right on the first missionary journey they went to cyprus first and then the second they left cyprus and they arrived back on the mainland there mark leaves them and goes back to israel all right and he leaves Paul and Barnabas, to do the, the rest of the, uh, the, the missionary work, all right? It says there that, uh, that um, Mark left them. It says that Mark withdrew from them, but the word probably is a stronger word than that and probably has more of the sense of deserted or abandoned them. Now, we don't know why Mark left, and we could speculate why Mark left, but at the end of the day, we, just, we really have no idea why Mark left. But what we do know is that whatever the reason Mark left them on their first missionary journey, Paul didn't think it was that good of a reason uh, because he is, he's uh, upset with Mark about it and feels like it has kind of, you know, uh, means that Mark isn't quite mature enough or fit enough to be a partner with them on their second missionary journey. And so Barnabas, of course, uh, was known as the son of encouragement. And so we're not super surprised that of the two, Barnabas is, is ready to give uh to give Mark a second chance. And and Paul, Paul, not so much. You know, Barnabas is more of like the, you know, come on, guys, pat you on the back. Paul's like a, you know, you know, he left us <laughs> kind of guy. All right? So, and we need both kinds of people. All right. But they didn't see eye to eye on this. And of course, for Barnabas, too, Paul had something to do with that Mark was his cousin, and there was some familial loyalty there. So these two brothers, these two spiritual giants. Actually, divide over this issue. They actually decide, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, that they just, they could not continue to work together on this missionary task uh, because of the issue of Mark. And so they, they split, and Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus on that same route. um, We would say, what's that, clockwise on the Mediterranean. While while Paul actually takes Silas and goes the other way, counterclockwise, on the inland journey, uh, back towards the cities that they uh, ministered to. Okay? So what are some principles? What are some takeaways from this? Well, the first takeaway is this. That following Christ is never conflict-free. Following Christ is never conflict-free. I'm amazed by the number of Christians who act surprised when there's conflict in a church. That's just, it's just, I don't know why. Did you know this? this, The first time I heard this, this blew me away. Do you know the number one reason why missionaries leave the mission field? The number one reason is interpersonal conflict with their missionary team. That's the number one reason missionaries leave the mission field. It's crazy. Why is that? Well, like we said before, right? Because wherever God is actually trying to work, right, where God is working, the devil's always going to attack the hardest, right? And he knows that we as humans are weak, and we like to take things personally, and we like to let our feelings and things get in the way, so that that uh, the the good work that's trying to be done, all right, we get our feelings hurt or whatever, and, and the whole thing blows up, all right? And so, follow, so we just must, we must be sober about this, and just remember that following Christ is never conflict-free, so I shouldn't be surprised by it. And then the second point is that we must learn to handle conflict in a godly, mature way, right? This is a hard, this is a hard thing to do because we all have different, like, kind of, like, safety mechanisms when it comes to conflict, right? All right? Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> if you're like me, probably, all right, that your preferred mechanism of conflict management is the silent treatment, all right? You just shut down, All right, you just shut down, you just wall yourself off, you know, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it, all right? The silent treatment, my friends, is not the way, all right? Talking talking about people behind their back method is not the way. Uh, The poisoning other people's minds against them is not the way. The ignoring it and acting like everything is fine way is not the way, all right? You know, I, I say, you know, we talk about this a lot. We live in the rural south, you know, it's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not hurt other people's feelings. Okay. But listen, as Christians, we got to grow past that and we got to learn to handle conflict in godly biblical ways. And notice what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we'll always come to agreement on everything. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't actually mean that. Right. But it does mean sitting down and having honest face-to-face conversations. All right. Trying to think deeply, soberly, reasonably about whatever the conflict is about, okay? And that's the point. It's like not, And not every conflict, and that's what this, this whole account illustrates, right? That not every conflict will end with hugs and um, matching biffle tattoos, all right? Best friends for life, all right? It might not, it probably won't happen that way. Sometimes we just, sometimes the best we can do is just to agree to disagree. And what and, and I mean, and, and, even, and Paul and Barnabas, again, these spiritual giants, these spiritual heroes, all right, they, they just could not agree on this. And so sometimes missions in the real world, we have, to, we, just, we have to work sometimes with our human weaknesses. And sometimes that means that the best option really is to just separate. Sometimes that's just the best thing to do. Sometimes you just need to go your way and we need to go our way and no hard feelings. We still love each other. We're still serving Christ in our own ways, but we just, we can't agree on this, on this one thing. You know, this might help you, and so just, you know, just, I'm gonna let you off the hook here. You don't have to be best friends with everybody. You don't. You can love, now you gotta be kind to everybody. You gotta love everybody. You gotta respect people and treat them with, with kindness the way you would want them to treat you, but you ain't gotta be best friends with everybody. And so, and so, and so don't, you know, don't, don't try to, don't try to put that on yourself. Just, just be faithful. Just serve God. Just, you know, just, just and, and, and when we're serving and when we're being obedient, you know, if we can't see eye to eye with people, you know, work it out. Have honest conversation. If you can't agree, then just go your own way and keep serving the Lord, and, and it, it'll work out. I mean, God, and, and again, if you think about it, right, this obviously wasn't, you know, we wouldn't say probably this was the best case scenario, but what was the outcome, right? Well, instead of one missionary team, now we had two, all right? And so, And so sometimes that's the way the Lord works, all right? And so God can work even through our human weaknesses. And I just think it's important, too, to remember that conflict doesn't always have to be a bad thing. We always view conflict, we typically view conflict as a bad thing. But really, conflict is just an opportunity, right? And lots of good can come out of conflict. Lots of times, conversations that probably needed to happen a long time ago finally happen because some conflict takes place. And then you can finally start working through things and having honest conversations. And so don't always view conflict as a bad thing, but... Do know this, that ministry in the real world involves conflict, number one. <clears throat> number two here is that ministry in the real world requires contextualization. Ministry in the real world requires contextualization. So Barnabas takes Mark to Cyprus, um, and, uh, to the island of Cyprus, and then Paul takes Silas around the continent. And we, I think we have the map. Um, we should have the map up there. So Barnabas takes Mark to the island of Cyprus. You can see it there in the Mediterranean, the pink island. All right, but but uh, Paul and Silas go up the land route uh, to the to their the cities of their first missionary journey. And so you might not be able to read it there, but in Galatia, the south Galatia there, there's Derby, there's Lystra, there's Iconium. Those are all places that Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. All right, you'll remember that Lystra was actually the place. If you remember that. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas got there, they healed a man who was lame from birth. And, uh, and then the Lystrans thought that the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes had come and visited them. They thought, they thought uh, Paul was Hermes and that Barnabas was Zeus. And they start trying to offer a sacrifice to them. And then Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. And then, then later they end up stoning Paul. And so that's where all that happened. All right. Now, when they, um, when they arrive in Lystra, they find a Christian brother there named Timothy. Of course, and we know Timothy from the, the two letters that Paul would let later write Timothy. But Timothy um, is a Christian brother there, and he's well spoken of by the, by the believers. And so here is a young man, okay, who the Lord has really worked in. He has come convert. We don't know exactly if he was converted by Paul himself or um, whether we do know that his uh, mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, were converted first. And so maybe he was converted from his mother and his grandmother. But we do know that, Paul, that Timothy is a young man, that, he is, that the Lord is really working in his heart, and that Paul sees him and hears about him and uh, recognizes that he is a, a young man with lots of potential, with ministry potential, to the point that Paul actually wants to, wants to take him and uh, let Timothy help him on his missionary travels. Okay? Now there's just one little catch about Timothy here. And that is that Timothy had a Jewish mother, but his father was, was Greek. His father was Gentiles, was a Gentile, all right? And so, so that means that Timothy was kind of in this, you know, and for Jewish people, of course, this was, this was kind of a, not, you know not an ideal kind of awkward situation, right? Because Jews, strictly speaking, were not supposed to intermarry with non-Jews, all right? And so Timothy is kind of in this kind of like, halfway thing where, you know, like, is he Jewish, is he not? And there is some historical evidence that's fairly close to this time period uh, that tells us that it's, like, it's likely that the, the Jews, believe, Jews considered a person who had a Jewish mother as Jewish, okay? And so what happens as a result of this is that when Paul takes Timothy, Paul actually circumcises him. Now, if, now on the surface, we might say, well, what's the big deal about that? But if you've been reading carefully through the book of Acts, you will realize, wait a second, something's really going on there, right? Because what has Paul been arguing and fighting for, and what was the whole Jerusalem council about in the first place, right? Well, it was all about how non-Jews don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. Now, here we have a half-Jewish man, Timothy, but Paul circumcises him. Which is a Jewish, which is a Jewish thing, right? So, like, and so, like, scholars have debated this, and some, and some people say, well, that some people, some scholars even argue that, you know, Luke made this part up or whatever, because the real Paul would have never circumcised Timothy. But I think if you real, if you think about what's happening here, it is the principle that we're talking about, and that is the principle of contextualization, right? It says in in verse three there of chapter sixteen that he circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew that his father was a Greek. In other words, they, they knew that he was half-Jewish. And if, it, if, that, if the history is right, that, they, that the Jews considered people with Jewish mothers as, as Jews, then Timothy was, in fact, considered Jewish, uh, but, he, but he would have been an uncircumcised Jew, all right? And so for Paul, right, Paul has this missionary principle in mind that we talk about from time to time. And it's the principle of contextualization, and it's the principle that he talks about most clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, uh, or, or verse 22. He says, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And then he goes on to say, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Right? So in other words, right? When Paul is trying to reach Jewish people with the gospel, well, guess what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't have, he doesn't throw up, he doesn't, uh, throw a party for his Jewish friends and, and serve pork chops. All right? He doesn't do that. All right? Because that would be offensive to them And the gospel's already offensive enough. And so he doesn't want to add to offense by kind of subtly communicating that they got to do non-Jewish things to believe in Christ. Just like a Gentile doesn't have to become a Jew and believe in Jesus to be saved, a Jew doesn't have to become a Gentile as well. If if you were already Jewish, Paul never said you had to stop keeping the law. He just said you didn't have to keep the law to be saved. All right? And so since, um, since... Timothy was considered Jewish, all right. It would give unnecessary offense to the Jews that they were trying to reach with the gospel by him, by by Paul having a, a Jewish young man with him who was uncircumcised. And so Paul, obviously, with uh, Timothy's willingness, because you can't. Never mind. Um, but so so with Timothy's willingness, they circumcised him, all right. And and so and so they. So they took care of that issue so that it was no longer an issue. Now, kudos to Timothy, all right, because he was willing to do that just to not give offense to Jewish people, right, just so that you could reach people with the gospel. Well, what is that? That's called love. That's called sacrifice. That's called Timothy saying, you know what, I don't have to do this, but if it's going to make it easier to reach some people with the gospel, guess what? I'll do it because it's not about me. And that's what, that's what Paul was saying, right? Paul says, I became, I became, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. But then he says, though myself not being under the law, Paul says, Paul, in other words, Paul says, I don't, I don't have to keep the law, but if me keeping the law as a Jew helps me reach Jewish people, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus, all right? It's, it's, the, it's the principle of contextualization. And it's, it's for us to keep in mind as believers, right? That, that on, on, on matters that are of secondary importance, we should be willing to sacrifice our rights, to sacrifice our privileges, if it means an open door to preach the gospel to people. I mean, the greatest missionaries uh, that we think about, um, you know, the Southern Baptist uh, patron uh, saint, uh, uh, Lottie Moon, all right? Missionary to the Chinese people. Well, do you, you, know, how Ma, you know how Lottie Moon dressed? Like a Chinese person. Why did she do that? Because she didn't want the Chinese people to think. Well, you have to because because when you come in from the outside, right, and they and, and then you come in with Christianity, there's a temptation to think. Well, well, that, that Christianity is just an American religion. But when Lottie Moon became Chinese for the most part, when she dressed like a Chinese person, when she adopted their culture wherever she could, not in every place, but where, when she adopted their culture wherever she could, they begin to realize, hey. Her faith isn't just for Americans. Her faith is, her Jesus is for everybody, including Chinese people like me. And and Hudson Taylor uh, did the same thing. And so wherever we can accommodate people's sensitivities, wherever we can accommodate people's preferences, wherever we can accommodate these things to, to not give unnecessary offense to people, we should do that for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. So missions involves conflict. Number two, missions in the real world requires contextualization. And then finally, number three, missions in the real world heeds calling. Missions in the real world heeds calling. So in verses 6 through 10 there um, in chapter 16, it, it, it mentions twice. This is very interesting. It mentions twice how Paul and Silas and Timothy were kind of like planning to go somewhere. And then it literally says that the Holy the Holy Spirit prevented prevented them, right? So I think we have the the the, the map again, alright. It says there that so you can see as it's moving, as they're moving <clears throat> from Galatia, kind of the big green one, all right, into Asia there, the red one. All right, you can see there that it says that they initially wanted to go into Asia, all right? And most likely, most likely, when it says that they plan to go into Asia. It most likely means that they were going to go straight west, probably to the city of Ephesus, because Ephesus was the major city in the, in the region of Asia, all right? But, when they, but when, they, when they tried to go toward Asia, it says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit in verse 6. And then the very next verse, verse 7, when they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, they decided to go north, uh, they decided to go north instead, and then you'll notice there the light green part. It says Bithynia and Pontus. They were going to go into Bithynia. And then when they tried to go into Bithynia, it says in verse 7 that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. All right? And so twice, Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy have these plans, and twice the Holy Spirit shuts the door. Now, we don't, we don't know how that happened, you know? We don't know if it was a, a dream or a vision we don't know if some some kind of um, there was some kind of like prophetic utterance from somebody saying not to go that way. Uh, we don't know if it was just some kind of like physical hindrance or something uh, that they took as as divine intervention. All right, we don't really know how it happened, but clearly what was happening, they understood that it was from God to not go into these areas. Okay, and so eventually, what happens? is they can't can't go straight west, they can't go north, so they end up cutting over to Troas, um, which is in the upper left portion there uh, of of Asia, uh, and then traveling, and then when they get to Troas, Paul receives a vision of a man from Macedonia. So Macedonia is the yellow region in the corner, all right? So Paul receives a vision of a Macedonian man saying, hey, please come... You need, you need to come over here and help us. And so it's, what, what's interesting there is twice the Holy Spirit forbids them, and then when they get to Troas, the Holy Spirit in a vision tells them that they need to go over here so they can see how God closed this door and God closed that door to get them right here so that they could go where God wanted them to go at this time. All right? And so what's the point there? What's the point? The point is this. It says we need to make plans and we need to strategize, but... We can't hold so tightly to our plans that we can't pivot when God closes the door. So it's not that they didn't make plans, right? They made plans. Plans are good, right? They planned to go into Asia, and God stopped them. They planned to go in Bithynia, and God stopped them, right? It's not bad to make plans, but we can't hold, and we do this sometimes, right? We, we have this plan for our lives, and we hold it so tightly that when it, it, we realize that plan's not going to work out, we just fall to pieces, but that's just not reality, right? We, we, all, we, we should make plans, but we got to hold our plans loosely knowing that at any moment, God can intervene in our plan, right? The, 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 the proverb says, right, uh, in, in the, the, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps, right? So as followers of Christ, right, we should make plans, but we should be humble and we should hold those plans loosely, right? So it, it doesn't mean, you know, you know, there's some people that kind of have this posture of like, every morning I'm going to wake up and stick my finger to the wind and decide what I'm going to do. Somebody told me, I heard of somebody one time that they would pray in the grocery store whether they should buy smooth, creamy, or crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm not sure that that's that big of a deal. All right? But at the same time, all right, so that may be a little too much. All right? But at the same time, right, you know, we should be willing to, we should be willing to say, you know what? This, this doesn't feel right, or God, this, this isn't, I wanted to go this way, but God's closing this door. And, and so we should we should be able to pivot. We should be able to, to, to God, sometimes God has a roundabout way of getting us where he wants to go. So that doesn't mean that your initial plans were bad or misguided. It just means that it, it might have been a way to get you in the position and in the place to get you to where he really wants you to go, right? When I uh <clears throat> My, my plans in life, my undergraduate degree is in mechanical engineering, all right? And so, you know, when, so when I went to school and did a lot of hard math stuff that I wish I had never done, all right, so I, I did all that, and it was great, but guess how, guess how much, you know, calculus I use every day? <laughs> Not a whole lot, all right? But guess what? Where did God call me into the ministry? at Georgia Tech, because God used that season in my life in a way that I would have would never anticipated. And so, and so I had plans, and I followed those plans, and God used those, and even though, I, even though those plans didn't work out, those plans, were, those plans were part of the plan to get me in a roundabout way where God wanted me to be, all right? And so, and so the journey, you know, the journey's half have, have, have the thing, you know. When God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, right, he had them t- take a very roundabout path to get to where they needed to go because they needed something, all right? And so sometimes that's the case for us. And so my question to you and my question to us as a church is, you know, they, they had to listen to the Holy Spirit. And so my question to you is, how good are you doing right now at listening? To the Holy Spirit. Are you, are you sure you're where God wants you to be? Maybe, maybe you've been trying to force something that that isn't what God wants for you. Or maybe, or maybe it's the opposite. It could be the opposite. Maybe you've just been stuck in something and God's been telling you to go somewhere else. But guess what? That's not, it's not always, that's not always obvious, right? You have to, we have to be doing what? We have to be walking closely with the Lord, right? So, the next, so, that, so that, you know, that's kind of the next question, right? Is your walk with the Lord close enough right now that if the Spirit told you to do something, would you hear it? Right? Would we hear it? Are we listening closely enough that we'd hear it if God spoke to us, right? Because I don't know about you, but for me and for my church, I, and I know for you guys, right? I mean, we just want to be where God wants us to be. And sometimes that's a roundabout way, and sometimes we might we might start one way and then God pivots us this way, but whatever it is at any moment, we want to be what God we want to be what God wants us to be. And so let that be our prayer. Let that be your prayer for yourself, and let that be our prayer for our church. That we would that we would make plans, but that we would hold them loosely. That we'd always just seek to be obedient and sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So what is this? This is missions in the real world. It involves conflict, it requires contextualization. And it heeds calling. And so as I close this morning, uh, just a final reminder and a final invitation, Lord, uh, to you all of the, of, of the calling that we're talking about, right? The most important calling is not where you're going to work. It's not where you're going to go to college. It's not how many kids are you going to have. The most important calling is, do you belong to Jesus? And, and maybe you're in this room this morning. Maybe you're watching online this morning In and you're, you're, you're not even 100% certain that you've received that first most important calling. But maybe the Lord's calling you today. Maybe for the first time you haven't, you haven't been able to hear the Holy Spirit. and Maybe you just feel in your heart he's knocking on your door. He's putting that call on, you, on your life to come to him, to repent, and to be saved. That, that my friends, is the first most important calling, and it's the beginning of the wonderful life God has for you. So if that call is being extended to you today, I pray that you would receive it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we are humbled today to recognize that life isn't always easy, that life is messy, that sometimes things get hard and relationships get tricky. But at the end of the day, Lord, you're for us and you're not against us. And, and you, are, you are for your work, you are for your kingdom. And we just, Lord, we just want to be where you want us to be. And so, God, I pray for ourselves individually, and I pray for us as Hillside Baptist Church. God, let us always be sensitive to the leadership of your spirit. Let us always, God, just be listening and open, Lord, for when you tell us to to, to not go this way and to go another way, like you did Paul and, and Silas and Timothy. God, I pray that we would be listening. I pray that we would be attentive. God, I pray that we'd be ready. Lord, for, um, to, to, to be primed and ready to go to the place that you want us to go. Lord, just, just like they heeded that call and, you, you, and then you, you, you gave them the Macedonian call, Lord. Lord, there, there are people in the same way today. There are people out there, God, that need help, that need you. And you're calling us, you're calling your people, God, to meet those needs. Let us, let us be able, God, to hear that call And to be ready to go when you do. And finally, Lord, maybe you're just prompting, maybe you're prompting somebody's heart right now. They need your touch. Lord, they need your mercy. They need your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace today to heed that call. To turn from their sins, To trust in you, Lord Jesus. Who lived, who died, who rose, who's coming back. To receive your Holy Spirit. To be the the person that you've called them to be. We love you and praise you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.